0: I mean clearly they should be called a scanduction. I'm just <laughs> scanduction. <Woo! laughs> that is actually pretty good. And that's the thing is I don't I, I don't know like the, but this pattern it's it's yeah, scanduction is very good.
1: <laughs> that was 100% joking. Do not call that scanduction. Please do not call that scanduction.
0: Welcome to ADSP, the podcast, episode 119, recorded on February 16th, 2023. My name is Connor, and today with my co-host, Bryce, we interview Zach Lane. This is part three of a five-part interview. We talk about why APL and Haskell are awesome and why C++ developers should be interested in learning other languages. Let's switch to APL now, though. (laughs) APL. So the question was, why am I so uh, enamored or obsessed with the language?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what in particular, like, because I, I know you said it's your favorite language, but when you say something like that, like, what are the things you're thinking of that that you love about it that, that make it so singular for you? So I, my
0: top five languages is constantly evolving. Number two, actually, now is APL. And there is a new oh, okay. APL, quote unquote, on the block called BQN.
2: Oh, hang on, hang on. For for For, for, for all <laughs> intents and purposes... Like for for, for non array programming, like for regular for civilians like, like us Connor, the distinction between APL and BQN is like like if BQN's your favorite programming language versus APL,
1: to us it's like right. it's it's all, all right. APL.
0: I mean there's a there's a few array language listeners that appreciate the difference, but you're correct
1: so is that is that like a is that like a nerdy gag that each letter is this sequence letter yeah, yeah them? it was it's actually yeah. was okay.
0: supposed to be if it's plus one on each it should have been b q m but they messed it up so now yeah. the joke is that it's fibonacci plus a p l which I think is a uh, very funny, so what do i i mean
2: i I can give my analysis as to why you like a p l
0: go ahead bryce
2: um I think Connor's one of Connor's primary programming interests is the design of algorithms, not the design of applications uh, of, of like full applications or libraries. Connor is interested in like how do I, how do I construct an algorithm to solve this particular type of problem? Like what's the best algorithm for for tackling this problem? And um, for for a, a question like that, a language like APL offers a great deal of simplicity and elegance. Um, And I think Connor has this, um, this desire for very elegant solutions to, to these problems. Um, And so when Connor says it's his favorite programming language, he doesn't mean like, he's going to go like, write, you know, like an application in APL, um, because that might be a little bit more challenging. Um, but, but, what he means is that like he loves solving these algorithmic problems, and that APL is a great tool for that, and APL like languages. My close buddy?
0: That's not uh entirely wrong i would I would agree. I mean, at some point, I do plan to start building larger projects in these languages to really find their sharp corners. but like there's there's like a list of ten reasons why I, I love these languages, and i've I've also started in the last couple of weeks to appreciate that, like, these languages are really misunderstood. Like, everyone, sure, they make fun of the glyphs and whatnot, but <laughs> it is it is a very, like, the glyphs aside, it is a notation, and it doesn't even really need to be the notation. It could just be a wordified version of it, but, like, it's the best way to think about solving problems. And, honestly, like, I had this path from C++ to becoming really familiar with the C++ algorithms and falling in love with them. And there's a lot of, when you start to learn about, you know, count if and partition, there is, you are, you unlock the ability to suppress unnecessary detail. And like, there's this subordination sort of, of, you know, looping and indexing and off by ones you know you have count if you pass it a a unary predicate in the form of a lambda and that's so much more elegant and expressive in my opinion than compared Mm -hmm. to writing a a hand-rolled full for loop and then i went from sort of c++ to c++ algorithms to haskell where you know the same expressing the same kind of idea with sure worse performance but like you know writing a lambda or composing functions you know especially compared to before ranges and c++ 20 is just so much more elegant and there's a richer set of those algorithms. You know, that's one of the things is that with the C++ algorithms, we have lots of reductions and lots of maps. You know, things that go from a list of values to a value as a reduction and things that go to a list of values to a list of values as a map. But there's this third category of algorithms in my kind of mental algorithm ta- taxonomy called splits. You know, I used to refer to them as anamorphisms, but for d- reasons I'm not going to get into, it's actually a, a, bad des- a bad description. So splits go from like a list of elements to like a list of list of elements. So like Mm -hmm. uh, stood ranges, views, split is a great example, but we're getting a bunch more with chunk by chunk. uh, You know, I think there's a couple others coming, but the point is, is like those exist in Haskell. And so like my mind was just blown away by Haskell. It like increased my ability to like solve problems and think about problems. Like it, it blew my mind by like an order of magnitude. And then like, so I went C++ to C++ algorithms to Haskell and then i landed on apl and apl it just it, it adds another order of magnitude for your ability to like play around with solutions i can code five different solutions to the same problem like i'm working on a talk idea or a youtube video idea which is going to be the eighth problem so in the last couple episodes we talked about problem number 6 and 7 max gap and max gap can max gap count and now there's a new problem that i've discovered which is because- i
1: was shocked that that um Bryce could not get adjacent difference. I was just like yelling at the screen. I was like, "Adjacent difference? What are you doing? Adjacent difference yeah. with a custom comparator? What and are you I doing?" Actually, I, yeah. the, the
2: current wording in the standard for adjacent difference. I wrote all that wording.
1: <laughs> oh really? And you still didn't yeah. get it. That's great. And we have adjacent <laughs> transform
0: now, which is the the, the better named because adjacent difference is one of the worst named algorithms yeah. because it encodes yeah. the semantics of the default binary operation. But yeah, t- and to pause, to pause on uh, before I get to problem number eight, I've I've like so. Upon thinking about Bryce's solution to the max gap count that is just a single reduction, I've come up with a word now for this pattern where you can use basically a scan followed by a reduction, which doesn't actually fit into the max gap count one, but it is for Cadane's algorithm and for max consecutive ones. And it's called a double fold, which like there'll be a whole talk or YouTube video on this, but it's the idea where you have... Like a the, I mean clearly they should be called a scan duction. I'm just <laughs> scanduction. <laughs> Woo! That is actually pretty good. And that's the thing is I don't I, I don't know like the, but this pattern, it's it's yeah, scanduction scan duction is very good. Um
1: <laughs> <laughs> That was a hundred percent joking. Do not call that scan duction, please do not call This that clip that is gonna end up in a
0: talk when I'm talking about the double fold that can be used, but uh yeah, it's anyway, so and so I don't want to belabor this point, but the, the the next problem eight is three consecutive odds. Does a list of integers consa- contain three consecutive odds? And the beautiful thing about this problem is one, it ties in beautifully to um, some of the other problems from one to seven in this list of problems I'm coming up with. But there's three separate like categories of ways to solve this. One is just by doing um, not an adjacent transform now, because, or actually you can do an adjacent transform because you can pass... The number of elements you look at um, as a template parameter. But to me,
1: I, I would just do that as a straight up left fold, right? I mean, I, I I would pass in a tuple that says here's the current uh, uh, here's the current number and here's how many odds I've seen so far, and at the beginning it would just be zero zero, and then um, you proceed through and you say like, do I see an odd? Oh, great! Then I'm going to return. Um, that number and then uh, increment the other number by one right and so then the next iteration I would say do I see the same number is it also odd or is, do I see another odd I should say right um and then uh, and, and so on right I, I guess the first one doesn't need to be the actual number it just needs to be a boolean like I, I just saw an odd right yeah um but but you know what I'm saying so so like I think and and one of the the I think problems with modern computer science education is there's, there's not enough emphasis on like the name of this podcast, right? <laughs> that, that the way to, the way to decompose problems is, is algorithms, data structures. And, um, the algorithms part is, should be heavily emphasized. And we don't have enough people, including myself graduating from very good computer science departments, understanding that like, no, everything you should do should be algorithmically, um, like should be, should be thought of as an algorithmic, uh, de- decomposition problem as much as you can. Mm-hmm. And fold is right at the head of the list. Yeah. Like, the number of things you can't do without fold um, that are a for loop is kind of small. Yeah. Like it's, it's not, it's not empty, but it's very small. It is like, I I have a,
0: in my algorithm and taxonomy of like reduction, like folds, maps and splits, like reduce or fold is, is the like the most elementary of the elementary yeah. algorithms because you can technically implement like the maps, the splits, uh, everything in terms of folds where like your binary operation is just sort of growing this list um, of state. Uh, But so exactly your solution is the double fold where you basically have two binary operations. And like you can simplify three consecutive odds into not maximum consecutive ones, but if you basically, if you turn your list of integers into a list of ones and zeros where they represent whether it's an odd or not, you now basically have a different flavored maximum consecutive ones, where it's not max. It's like is the maximum consecutive greater than? Why or equal isn't to this three? just
2: why, is This yeah. is just a transform reduce.
1: So what you described, what you described is a two pass, and I'm saying like you can do it with a fold. Yeah, one yeah.
2: That's that, right? that's
1: that's that's what I'm saying as well.
2: Is that you can a
0: double fold is yeah. a double fold is maybe poorly named, but it actually is only one pass. Oh, okay. It's a it's a it's a one pass algorithm that successively for each element in your sequence applies two different binary operations and that two pieces of state that's the key point is that you're you're carrying your current number of odds you've seen so far and the maximum the global maximum of odds in a row you've seen so like you're always trying to you always max is your second binary operation and your first binary operation you can do with something called a phi combinator. But basically it's your current so far and you always multiply it by whether it's an odd. So if it's not an odd, it resets it back to zero. Um, so, so, so it's just a... F- the, the the way that I'm
2: thinking of doing this in my head and I'm thinking and, and thinking in particular about the, an implementation that you can paralyze and in particular one where you can reorder the inputs. Um, and what I have in mind is you do a, a transform where it's taking in three input sequences. The first is 0 to n minus 2. The second is 1 to n mm. minus 1. And the third is uh, 2 to n. And then that returns mm. you whether or not all three of those consecutive elements are, are odd. And then the second one is just a plus reduction. Um, and the, the way to do it that way is that then um, uh, you can... You can just call like a you know a C++ standard uh, uh, transform reduce um, with a parallel algorithm policy, and it's fine if if the input gets um, uh, reordered because the input is essentially a, a pair of the three of the consecutive elements.
1: Right. Yeah, that's that's interesting because I mean, <clears throat> my my goal is always like for radical simplicity wherever I can get it. And so like to me, it's just a fold. I don't want to all this other stuff. Yeah. It's just a fold. But what you just described is interesting because then you you make it embarrassingly parallel, I and mean, then yeah. you can just uh, go out and do it in chunks. Yeah. That's really nice. Yeah, that's that that is what they pay me for. <laughs>
0: <laughs> in spirit, like this now covers kind of two of the solutions. So you uh, encoded the second solution in a Transform reduce, but like so. This double fold or a scan followed by a fold, the one that basically Zach explained, is the first way yeah. to solve this one of the one of the three categories of ways. The second way is what you solved it, and I categorize that as the slide, so like you could also do this wouldn't be as performant, but do a slide or an adjacent, which looks at three at a time, turns those into booleans or ones, and just checks are any of those you know w- sliding windows of threes uh true for all odd then there's a a third solution, which is basically. Turn everything once again into zeros and ones, one being an odd or a trues and falses, and then do a split or what they call like a chunk by in C23. Mm. And you're looking at two adjacent elements and you want to split by them being not equal to each other. And then you're basically going to get a list of lists, which are all consecutive ones, all consecutive zeros. And then you can either do reductions over each of those sublists or filter out the zeros and then just map the lengths over all the sequences of ones. And the point is not like which one of these are more performant. The point about why I love APL and BQN is like these languages enable me so quickly to think about solution one, solution two, and solution three. And it is it like it gives you this ability to have like a flexibility of thought in terms of like algorithmic thinking or like thinking about different solutions. <laughs> and like to a fault sometimes, like I have such a strong, like array brain that like, I forget when I go to Haskell that like, I shouldn't be trying to turn things into lists of trues and false because then I need to explicitly, you know, convert them with a front from enum to, to from a Boolean to an intruder, uh, because in array languages, Booleans are just ones and zeros. It just like, the The way that I am able to think about problem solving, it's like, there's this way, this way, this way. And that was, we had an interview on my other podcast with an individual by the name of Michael Higginson. And he articulated something so well that like sometimes, like there's different reasons that you write code a certain way. Sometimes it's for performance, but sometimes it's for readability. Sometimes it's for the ability to refactor something in the future. Sometimes it's, you know, you're putting more like, there are different reasons to write code different ways and i think in c++ topia and rust topia like we're always about perf 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 but like array languages especially apl and bqn aren't necessarily like focused with like perf at like at is number one um and and it's, so it just it just like changes the way you can think about things and on top of that like there's an, a bunch of other reasons like array languages aren't at all known to be combinator languages, like languages that provide you with primitives for composing functions. And like when we think about composing functions in C++ or Python or whatever, people think about like the bash pipe model where you like you pipe one thing to another thing. And like that is like composing unary functions is like a very, very simplified model of what's possible with like different types of function composition. What if I want to compose two functions? The first one takes two arguments, evaluates that, then you have a single argument, then you pass that to another function that's a unary function. How do you do that? Well, you're going to have to write some custom function in C++, but like in languages like Haskell and BQN, they have primitives where you can just have a binary function on the right, a unary function on the left. You put your, uh, what's known as the B1 combinator in between, and then like it just automatically composes. So like what's really important in that composition is just the two functions and the pattern. The name of the arguments isn't important. Like the braces to find or like the parentheses to define a lambda. All of that stuff is just like unnecessary. And BQN and APL are like the only two languages and maybe Haskell that like provide you with this ability to enhance the way you think about function composition, enhance the way you think about solving things algorithmically. And there's also just on top of it, like especially with APL, like it's unbelievable the amount of thought and beauty is put into the glyphs like people make fun of them all the time, but it's like making fun <laughs> of Chinese. Cause you don't speak Chinese. It's just like, you know, or like, you know, there's a quote that's like, would you say you, you don't um like Russian poetry is not understandable because you don't speak Russian. Well, it's like, no, you you would just acknowledge that you don't speak Russian. Whereas no one does that with APL because every language for the most part looks similar enough, you know, Python to Java to C++ to Rust, Like they, they look similar enough that, you know, it's like, oh, well this one looks so different. It must be unreadable. When in my opinion, like, the amount of time that it takes to read, you know, two or three lines of APL, which the equivalent in C++, you know, with like template arguments and, and just like, you know, everything. It's just like, I think, C, I think APL is actually much easier to read. Yeah, and like the, C++ the, has
2: no great claim to readability. Although and yeah, you and yeah. I have had this discussion in the past yeah, though. Absolutely. I, one of the reasons that I find it hard to read your, your APL is because there's all these order of operation things that you prefer to leave implicit in your APL code. And I think it would be a lot clearer if you just put the parens that you feel that the parens make it uh, 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 less elegant. But
0: I mean, so in certain cases, that is the case. But like, I also had this, I mean, this has come up now once or twice across the two podcasts that I have that like, one time at work, I pointed out that like in APL, there is. Not really any precedence. There is some precedence between operators and functions, but like if you just have a series of functions, it's just linear. It's just right to left, which you can argue is the wrong order, but it's just like, it's just, if you have like one plus two times three divided, you just process right to left. Whereas in school we teach bed mass or ped mass, whatever country, like, and it's just like, I brought this up in a meeting once and got like, got like, heck, I don't know what the word is, heckled or whatever. And people were just like, whoa, 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 like. (laughs) How can you say that the APL model is better? And I was like, because there's no mod, like there's no rules. It's just right to left. Every function has the same precedence. Like you just read it in a line, whereas you have to memorize this like hierarchy of binary operations. And uh, and it's like yeah, but, but for, my, for my, what my
2: issue is that like like if if I'm a newcomer to to APL or BQN and I don't know which things are binary operations versus unary operations versus like you know. In, in input or something then like it may not be clear to me that like oh this is like you know there's some nested function call some nested operations being called here um whereas with the Prens, it it, it it would help me at least understand sort of the
1: structure of the 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 calls that you're con, you're composing so I, I mean I I think there's an argument to be made there for sure I mean I agree with what Connor saying because having written I mean if you ever if you' ever written an interpreter um you know that as soon as you put stuff in like RPN, like reverse Polish notation. I'm not sure why the word Pol- whatever the country of Poland is in there, but we can we whenever, can ask whenever you write stuff that way. You get back some yeah, I'm just run do you know why RPN is called RPN? Just real quick. Uh, yeah. So um so as soon as you do that you have you know operand operand operator. Operand operand operator. And and it's just it it looks like the stack. It looks like exactly what the stack is doing all the time. Yep. There's never any ambiguity. And it's hard to read in the same way that all code is hard to read. All all code idioms are hard to read the first time you encounter them. But I have a feeling that like if we all learn to write code that way, it would be very simple to adjust to very quickly and you have no ambiguity. I think there's something to that. Because I remember once I got used to it, seeing it, you know, essentially I was at a point where I was like trying to to figure out what was wrong with my interpreter. And so I was looking at lots of these strings of of RPN values in their operations and I got used to, to looking at them and understanding exactly what was going to happen at all at all steps. And then, you know, debugging based on that understanding. But it did take me a while to get there. But once I started doing it, it was like very natural. Yeah,
0: It's the same thing with, I think, lisps. People, people talk about how like lisp is the lots of silly parentheses, et cetera. But like there are no more parentheses in a Lisp program, relatively speaking, compared to like Python or C++. It's the same number of parentheses to invoke a function. It's just they move it from be- right before the argument list to right before the name of the function, yeah. There's still two parentheses, and in a lot of cases because of enclosure, they've got a language feature or macro called uh, thread first and thread last macros, which is similar to the pipe operator that's being proposed uh, by Barry for C plus plus twenty six. It's like you actually get you can avoid like the main that, thing that, that I
1: is actually doa now. I think it's <laughs> doa. What is that? Uh, dead on the way. I don't think he, I think he's dropping that proposal for the pipe operations. What? Yeah, no he ha- he has he has a, a better model he's pursuing instead. Um, oh, okay, That, okay. that subsumes says subsumes the the same oh. functionality you would get from the pipe thing, but the pipe is like a uh, too limited. I, right? I don't don't do that to me, Zach. I was like, this is like the. <laughs> I, I know. I was when he told me that, like he told me this at the meeting, like you know last week or whatever, and I was like, what? But I love the pizza. Give me the pizza. You know, it was like the the paper was so cool, and I loved all the semantics in it. And he was like, yeah, yeah, but we we can do better. And he starts describing this other thing. I'm like, yeah, yeah, screw the pizza. I want that. See but but, <laughs> so but it's, it's like we can do better but the question is will we get
2: better? I I, I have an answer <laughs> to the reverse polish notation question which is that it's uh-huh, named uh-huh. for this Polish uh, uh, mathematician Jan Łukasiewicz. Lucia... I am not I, I cannot pronounce it. <laughs> I mean you've you
1: already offended the Polish I, people already It's <laughs> you got that's too well, called Polish it. and not that dude's name because it's yeah, impossible. My fo-
2: my phone's going to do it. Jan Łukasiewicz.
1: Oh, of course, yeah, Polish. Like I said, Polish. That's why we call it Polish. I speak. I speak a little <laughs> Polish. I've been learning. Polish. Wait,
2: wait. Okay, oh, come on, Connor. Don't do this to me. You speak what? a little Polish.
0: I speak. I speak actually quite a bit of Polish. What would you like me to say? You know, I I, I, I downloaded
2: Duolingo. That that is the extent to it. I,
0: I gotta. I gotta say that app. Just a little tangent here. Beautifully designed. It's so addictive. Wait, I saw that. Was it Daniela? Um, was 1,700 days in a row on Twitter or something like that? I might have it wrong. But, I mean, I haven't missed a day since I've uh, since I've started. And, uh, yeah. How are you learning Polish? Uh, you know, I was in Poland. I'm going oh, back right. to Poland in June for uh, the Lambda Days conference. I'll t- and, we'll, we'll come with you. Okay. (laughs) Well, we got to go to Slovenia. Um, Yeah, we do. I'm I'm planning on being in Europe for all of June.
2: I'm going to be in Europe for pretty much all of June, too.
0: Yeah, so we're hitting up Slovenia. June 2023. We promised listeners, I'm not sure if you heard that uh, episode, Zach, but... um, Oh, you should come to Vienna uh,
2: with me. I'm going to be in Vienna for two days on my return trip.
0: Maybe. I mean, that's on the way to uh, Slovenia, is it not? I mean, (laughs) they're both in Europe, sure. No, I mean like between Poland and Slovenia, oh, I'll be yeah. landing in Poland and then going to Slovenia. And apparently Slovenia is a huge running country, so I'm going to try and run a run while I'm there.
1: You guys know uh, Gospar's from uh, Slovenia too, right? Yes. He's the only yeah. person I've ever known from Slovenia. I but, did not yeah. know that. He yeah. lives in London, does he not? Or outside London? Yeah, he does. I think he does now. Yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 they they're um got a house in London now or it, it, part of the house that is remodeling or construction or something. They, they just bought half but, the house. Just, how come yes. we didn't, how, do you <laughs> knew, you
0: knew that Gaspar was from Slovenia and you didn't reach out to him? Cause we were number
1: eight in Slovenia. We yeah, were trying yeah. to get the number one. He, I, you know? I
2: I knew I just, I hadn't put those, those facts, those facts together.
1: Yeah. Well, Slovenia. it's really interesting. So Gaspar told me this one time that like the, the, The guideline for, you know, many countries have different entrance requirements to becoming a citizen, right? In in Slovenia, the entrance requirement is, do you speak Slovenian? Like, that's it. You take a standardized test. If you can speak Slovenian, you're a citizen. Mm. Like, because it's so important to them to keep it because, you know, like it's a small European country. Not that many people speak it outside the country. Uh, Every year, the number of people that speaks it in the world gets smaller. And so they're trying to preserve the language. And so, that's their whole requirement. So anyone can come; they're taking all comers. If you can, if you can learn Slovenian, after a certain amount of time in the country, boom, you're you're a citizen. I thought that was really interesting.
0: Hmm. Wonder if I can get dual passports. Maybe I should start learning Slovenia too. <laughs> I, will, I will say the Polish has been getting a bit difficult at whatever level I'm at. So, uh... <laughs> so right, okay, but,
1: but before we move back to Bryce's thing, I just want to say, like, based on what you're saying, on the APL, because I, I, this, this is something I, I want to put a pin in. We 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 didn't have a chance to get back to it. So. You know, I started in basic, like just like in grade school kind of thing. I had access to a computer very young. So that was what was around. Um, also basic came with early versions of DOS. It was just like kind of built into the, to the shell. Um, and then I went to C++ and I basically have not, not done anything else seriously, but I will say like when I was in university and I learned Haskell, there mm-hmm. was that same thing you're describing with learning uh, APL was having to do everything functionally. When I'd been doing everything procedurally from the get-go and, and every step in between, it expanded my understanding of what programs were and how I could write them and how I could structure and how I could think about them. Like the the diff- the, the expansion of reasoning capacity from that was dramatic. Yeah. And um, so that's really interesting that you're getting the same thing out of APL. I find that really interesting. We, we call C++ a multi-paradigm language, but there are other paradigms outside of it that I think are also extremely useful.
0: Yeah. And I think like, I think that's the other thing. A lot of people bounce off of Haskell as well. And like, I'm not a Haskell expert by any means, you know, I don't, I'm not, you know, uh, Monad is a monoid in the category of endofunctors. You know, I, I read category theory for programmers, you know, I maybe understood a third of it. And like, I don't know the, the more, I don't know, advanced topics in Haskell, but like, I think people should just go to Haskell just to learn how to write like the equivalent of, you know, account if, or like, you know, if you want to filter odd list from a number, it's just like solution equals filter space odd. Like that's it, you know? And like, what's the equivalent of that in C++? First you need C++ 20, then you need to write a function. (laughs) Then it's return stood colon colon views colon colon. If you know that views is a shortcut for stood colon colon ranges colon colon views colon colon filter, paren, your list comma, or you can pipe it in. You can go list and then pipe to that. And then your lambda. Bracket, bracket, paren, auto, E, N, paren, brace, return, E, percent, two, semicolon, and brace, N, paren, semicolon, and then finish writing your function. Like how? this rant you...
1: brought to you by the Python foundation? <laughs> 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 and You're it's really just like, not still the language very well. here.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I just like, don't get me wrong. I'm so excited about r- real modern, like C++ 23 and C++ 26 C++, because the kind of code that I can write is getting like. Very close to, yeah, you know, yeah. the kind of functional things. Is it as elegant? You know, is it as does it subordinate as much detail? No, you know, are the namespaces a bit irritating? Yes, but like it's it's so far from what was possible in C plus plus eleven. And I just think that like going to Haskell and just learning how like a, a, how to compose a few basic functions really gives you an appreciation for like what could be possible in C plus plus and why like C plus yeah. ranges is so important. And like I, we talk about ranges all the time, and like never talk about the fact that like it is it falls into this category of a paradigm of programming which is not really w- widely known called collection oriented programming and it guarantees basically like single iteration over your sequence. So like when you compose a bunch of things, whereas if you were doing that in C plus plus eleven without composing things, you're mapping over, iterating over these sequences, you know, however many times you call these algorithms. And yeah. so you're going to get like a coefficient of however many algorithms you call versus when you pipe these things together in ranges, you now have just like, O n, no coefficient. It's just, yeah, I'm yeah, very so excited.
1: I, yeah, I think I, I agree with everything you just said. I think there were other things that I got out of Haskell. In addition to that, I think the algorithmic stuff was like the L, elegance of which you can do like things with list comprehensions and just like uh, fold algorithms, like uh, simplified algorithms in terms of, of a kind of a fold. That was great. But then there was also just a generic programming part where I can say yeah. like, oh, you know, type inference. Oh. Yeah. The t- type inference and like uh, using types as cases in, inside of an algorithm, like, oh, I know if I, if I have a list of things, I want to do this. If I have a, of a scalar, I'm going to do this other thing. Right. And, and just the ability to treat the input data as like one of a family of things that are isomorphic in some way. Mm-hmm. And then I deal with that family of things different, uh, only at certain steps of my work. Right. That's, that was kind of a revelation to me because, you know, and I think at that point I really hadn't, um, been introduced to generic programming as a, as a real, like fully baked concept that would come later. Yeah. But even then, if I think even if I had that as a foundation, and if I went over to Haskell and saw that I'd be like, you know, wow, I want this instead. Yeah. And, and I, th- I think there's lots of things where, you know, there's lots of sort of uh, radical uh, proposals that come in front of, especially the, the library part. I mean, sorry, the uh, the language part of the committee uh, where people say, like, that doesn't feel like C++. That's a little weird. I don't I don't like that. But um, I think there's a lot we can steal from other languages and and make our languages that much better. You know, yeah. and I, I think a lot of the things you're talking about are really important to me. I think having like a, a Rust traits like system, which is the thing that, that one of the things that Barry is working on, um, I think that would be incredible and mm-hmm. I think probably having a safe mode that basically is isomorphic with the the rust borrow checker is if it's not necessary it's damn near necessary for the for the future health of the language right uh, I think if if we had something like that then I don't know why I would use Rust um unless I was just you know fluent in it in the way that I'm fluent in C++ and don't want to change um but I think that we we can do a we can do a lot towards embracing a lot of these paradigms from other languages but I think that there's we have this installed base of code and semantics that are very specific to our language and it's hard to shoehorn things in so it becomes a it becomes a a constraint solving problem because you know You introduce a new semantic and intersects with all these and other semantics we have already and that becomes uh, difficult yeah but my my, my
2: concern is that the the problem isn't that the problem isn't that people are writing insecure c++ code now the problem is that even if we give them the tools to write you know memory safe c++ code today there's still billions of lines of existing c++ code out there that aren't aren't going away
1: yeah yeah, that, that's, that's always a problem. And, you know, the, the folks at Google, like, you know, they would make claims, especially uh, Titus would make claims like, well, you know, you just you just write a, a, a rewriter that, that just fixes your code. Um, and I wish we had a better story for that in C++, but it's so hard mm. to parse C++ code so that automation can understand what it parsed and then fix things in a way that actually makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a lot harder than, I mean, the reason Google can get away with saying stuff like that is because they have like, you know, uh, whole teams of people that do exactly this task. And so if you have that kind of scale, then, then often you could do these kind of interesting transformations, but the rest of us usually can't
0: be sure to check the show notes for links to everything we discussed in today's episode, as well as a link to a GitHub discussion. If you have any questions or comments, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed and have a great day.